Let's do it. Lewis Alvazan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We've got all our lines wide open. You go ahead and give us a call. We'll put you right at the top of the list. Get your question answered. That's right. Right now is the perfect time to call. There you go. Everything's open, like Lewis was saying. Should you happen to think of something during the week or right. after the show goes off today, you Some people just don't care to be on the radio. That too. You can always send us an email, and mm-hmm. the address for that is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. The acronyms for that is Altazan's Garage Company. That's right. Yeah, e- easy way to remember it. There you go. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. Just make sure you got the correct return address, because if it's off one character, it's just going to come back to us, and that's going to be the end of it. That's right. And sometimes I look at it, and I try to figure it out, but most time. You just can't. There's just too many possibilities oh, yeah. on an email address. So if you hadn't gotten an answer back from me within 24 hours, go ahead and send it again because I don't ever ignore email. I always respond to every email that I receive. Even on vacation. Hey, it don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> when you're in business, you don't get a vacation. That's it. That's it. You're never too far from that business, I'll guarantee you. I, I know that for absolute fact after 40 years of it. So. <laughs> Hey, it's www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Pop on there. I think you'll really like it. Lots of good information. And Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Hello. Hey, Good morning. Uh, I have a 67 GTO, and I've noticed lately hmm. when I stop the idle, my oil pressure light comes on. Once I take off, it goes off. Joe, the first thing you need to do is to screw a, a mechanical oil pressure gauge into that little port where that light cylinder is at. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be like an eighth-inch pipe thread there, so you can find a regular gauge. Screw it in, and let's see what the oil pressure is doing. Because there's a couple of possibilities. One is that the sender unit has gone bad. That's basically a spring-loaded device. Eventually, the spring can fail, and it can start giving you a false signal. Now, that's the best possible scenario. If that happens, you just take it out, put a new one in there, and then your problem solved. Now, if the oil is dropping off, well, now it's a much, much bigger issue. And that happens a lot. I don't know how many miles are on the car, how old the car, I know how old it is, but how old the engine is. What can happen, Joe, is that you got an oil pump that's turning, that's producing pressure. The only way it can maintain pressure is because it's pushing against resistance. The resistance is the clearance in all the bearings in the engine. Now, if the clearance in the bearings starts to get excessive because of wear, then more oil flows out than the pump can produce. And you're always going to see it at an idle because the pump's turning very slow at idle. Obviously, when you speed it up, more pressure, it can deal with it. Right. But if more oil is leaking out of these bearings than what the pump can maintain, then the oil pressure is going to drop and the light's going to come on to signal that. Now, that's real dangerous because that light is probably set somewhere around 2 to 5 PSI. And if your oil pressure is dropping that low, you can start burning things up. So okay. it's something you need to get on top of. Just get a mechanical gauge and screw it into the hole, or if you don't have one, you can bring it to the shop. We keep a mechanical gauge just for that purpose. Screw it in, verify the oil pressure if it's good. And good is defined as at least 10 PSI. Per 1,000 1, RPMs. RPMs. Right. So at 1,000 RPMs, you ought to have at least 10 PSI, and that's minimum. Most American engines will do at least two to three times better than that. Okay, so that's that idle problem. Yes, yes sir. that engine... At idle, back in the day, used to produce about 30 pounds of pressure. Okay. So if you got down around two or three pounds, then you've probably got an internal engine problem. Okay. Uh, doesn't mean you got to necessarily tear the engine all down. If it's not burning oil and it's not having no. any other problems, you may be able to drop the pan and just replace the bearings. You can do that without taking the engine out of the car on that, in, on that particular vehicle. 
Okay, good enough. All righty. Thank you. Okay, Joe. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Steve online. Good morning, Steve. Hey, Lewis. Yes, sir. Believe me, I'd have the car at your shop if it wasn't for the fact that it was that car, but mm-hmm. it won't pass inspection, okay. and it's coming back as a camshaft position sensor. Okay. Any ideas? Is, it, is that the actual... Could it be that part, or is, could it be another symptom of something else? Boy, it, it could be any number of things, Steve, because yeah. the cam position sensor, what it's saying is that it's not getting a signal that it recognizes. It can be a loose wire. It could be uh-huh. the signal. It could be the magnet on the sprocket that it's reading to get the signal. Uh-huh. It could be the computer itself is not interpreting the signal right. I mean, it could even be something out of left field. I've seen... We had a vehicle get a camshaft position signal, and the guy had hooked up some mechanical gauges and accidentally tapped into one of the wires, one of the uh, data wires, and he was getting some improper interference on the wire. So there's lots and lots of things. What you would do in a shop is you would hook a digital lab scope up to it. That's a device that's sort of like a TV, except instead of a picture coming on it, it shows the signal in the form of a wave pattern. Uh-huh. And there's a recognized wave pattern of what this sensor is supposed to be producing. Now, obviously, if you hook to the sensor and the wave pattern is flatlined or jumping all crazy, you know the sensor's bad. Yeah. If you hook onto it and the signal coming out of the sensor is okay, the next thing you have to go to the computer and see what you're getting there. Now, uh-huh. if you got a good signal at the sensor and none at the computer, then you know something's in the wiring in between. Now, if you got a good signal to the computer, but it's not interpreting it, then the computer itself is bad. So that's kind of sort of the way you got to go about diagnosing it. You might just check and see how expensive that sensor is. And if it's relatively inexpensive, let's say it's a $30 sensor and it takes 20 minutes to change it. Then you could just change it with the knowledge that, hey, I might be wrong, but I'm not losing a whole lot of money here. Yeah. Because the sensor is probably one of the more common causes of it, but it's just certainly not the only. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. if, it's a, if it's a $400 sensor, then you can't do that. you got to get it tested. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> obviously, there's no one in town that can work, that can competently work on the yeah, thing. Yeah, that's a problem, man. When you buy a car, I know there's lots of cars. It's not like a Subaru. It's really a good little car, but there's just nobody here that can work on it. Yeah. And that's a real problem. I mean, I don't know what best to advise you other than get a shop manual for it and see what you can do yourself. But you see, when you're diagnosing something like that, you're probably going to spend less than an hour, which in most shops is probably around 80 to $85 mm-hmm. to test all these components. Now, when you start changing stuff, let's say it's a $400 sensor. Well, you can't go throw $400 at hoping you're going to fix it. Yeah. So that's the whole reason behind diagnosis is spending a little bit of money to eliminate a whole lot of expensive possibilities. I don't know exactly what best to tell you on that, Steve. You might just go on the internet and Google Daewoo, see if there is any kind of user forums or anything out there. A lot of times there's some pretty sharp guys on those. I know some of the cars that we don't work on, I've advised people to do that. Sometimes they'll email me back and say, hey, yeah, I got a guy on a forum and knew all about it and he gave me some really good advice. Oh, okay. There there may be somebody in, say, New Jersey who is a Daewoo expert. Yeah. And he could probably, oh, yeah, I've seen that a hundred times, check this connection here or check this, this, this. Someone with a lot of experience, it's kind of like if somebody asked me about a Chevy truck, I could pretty much tell them what it is I'd ever see in the car just because we work on millions of them. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of what you're going to need to do. I, I don't know anyone locally with a lot of experience with that vehicle. You may end up on the Internet and find that that car has a pattern failure right. for a cam sensor. Right. There may be a or, technical service bulletin out right. there. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's certainly the way you go. I would just Google 
type in the code that you've got and the word Daewoo and see what comes up. And okay. just, you know, it may take you the better part of an afternoon to find it, but I mean, it's probably, that's more fruitful than just about anything else you can do. Cause just going to a shop that has no experience with that vehicle and no equipment to work on it, man, that's just like you throwing parts out yourself. Yeah. So yeah, if you're paying yeah. somebody else so to do it. So paying somebody else to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you can throw exactly. a you might throw them yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Steve. Well, thanks a lot, Lou. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We would love to have you. And we've got Gerald online. Good morning, Gerald. Hey, I got Good a 97 Chevrolet Venture. Okay. And I uh, had a remanufactured engine, an engine installed. And mm-hmm. and uh, this is the first time I've noticed this. I'm not sure it's related, but ever since then, when I turned the AC on, there's a sweet, I call it a sweet, sickly smell that comes out of the vent. Sort of like a lacquer really? smell or something. Is that something I should worry about? Well, it's certainly strange. I can't say that I've ever heard that particular complaint on that vehicle, Gerald. Is it getting worse or getting better or changing at all, or is it still exactly the same? It's staying the same, and it's just mostly when you first turn it on. Now, it may be that I'm getting accustomed to it, and then I don't notice it, but every time I initially turn it on, that's when I really notice it. You know what I would suspect, because almost every time a sweet smell like you're talking about is going to be antifreeze or coolant. That has, a, because it's ethylene glycol and that has sweet type of a smell to it, you most likely are going to have a heater core that's leaking just a very small amount. And what's happening is that overnight it leaks a certain amount into that tray in there. It catches it, so it runs out under the car where the air conditioning drips. You may or may not ever see it because the air conditioning condensation dilutes it, but you'll get that odor when you first turn it on. Now, once the fan blows a little bit, it kind of disperses it. Now, one way you could diagnose that, you fairly handy. I mean, you do some work yourself. Yeah, some, uh-huh. Do you know where the two hoses come off the engine and go to the firewall for the heater core? Yes. Okay, if you go to a parts store and just tell them you want a 5 8 by 3 quarter hose connector, uh-huh. they make a little plastic connector. It's 5 8 on one end, it's 3 quarters on the other end. And those hoses are both 5 8 and 3 quarters. Just take the two hoses off at the firewall and hook them together with a couple of clamps. Now, what uh-huh. that's going to do is bypass the heater core. Now, of course, your heater won't work, but that's hardly an issue right now. And if the smell goes away, then that is definitely the problem. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and I mean, you don't have to really deal with it that way until winter comes. You know? <laughs> when it starts getting cold, you have to do something with it. But that may be a fairly big deal to fix. You, you may have to end up pulling the dash out to, to get that heater core out of there. And maybe not. I'm not sure on a venture. But it's generally a big-ish type of a deal. So try that. That'll certainly get you through the summer anyway, and that will certainly diagnose the problem. Be ready right. to be ready to catch that coolant when it comes out. Right. That's lower than the top of the radiator. Right. So everything's going to come out. If you'll take some block-off pliers and block the two heater right. hoses off, yeah. then take them off. You're going to lose what's in the heater core and a little bit that's in the hoses, but you're not going to drain the block down. Yeah, no, just, oh, just then clamp, hook them, clamp the, pl- the hoses off. Then hook them together, take your clamps off, and you've bypassed the heater core. But you don't, that, want, you don't, don't want that if you don't on the want to ground. Fool with it, I mean, we can do it for you. It's a relatively inexpensive thing for us to do. All right, I appreciate it. Okay, All right, girl. thank you, man. Bye, bye. WC, hang on. You'll be straight up after this break. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from Chicago. Whoa, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn, so all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well... 
I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And that is what WC did. Good morning, WC. Good morning, man. How y'all doing? Doing, doing great, great, sir. Look, on that 69 Buick Electric, I got a run noise on there. I've been trying to get it over there, but look like I can't find time <laughs> to get it in there. I think it's my real wheel bands. I, I can get the wheel bands, but what you think would be necessary to change all of them since they're all 40 years old or better while we're in there? Man, I'll tell you the truth. I would replace all of the bearings in that rear end just because when the bearing goes bad, all that metal goes into the lubricant. Mm-hmm. And it's circulated through all the other bearings. Exactly. And I know the car you're talking about, and that's a sweet old car. I would probably change axle bearings and seals. I would change the carrier bearings. I would change the pinion bearings. It's not that much more to go ahead and just rebuild the whole rear end while you're in there. That way you can get in there, take everything apart, clean all that metal out. Because what happens so often is a guy will go in and just put a couple of wheel bearings in there, maybe change the all. Well, then some more metal that was trapped up in those other bearings washes down into the oil, gets back out there, eats the axle bearings up again, plus the carry bearings go out and then each set of gears up, and now you're in some really big money. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, you just talk yourself into a job. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get it over there, and uh, we'll give a, a noise test. I had the one front. I drove it up Little Rock. I, I had the front ones changed yes, out, but sir. that don't yes. make them... Be good. Well, that's true. I mean, if they didn't adjust them right, they can burn right back up again. They're kind of tricky to adjust on them old cars. I got an article on my website about that called Adjusting Wheel Bearings. That'll tell you a whole lot. But, yeah, bring it in, and what we can do is hook some microphones under the car to go drive it and isolate exactly where the noise is at. If the noise is not in the rear, then it's no big deal. The front bearings are a piece of cake change on that. Yeah, well, and I got that that top. I hadn't had the top down on the car yet. They mm-hmm. all twisted my arm about let the top down. So I wanted to clean those cylinders. I got that dot five silicone brake fluid to wipe those cylinders down. Cause uh-huh. that man, you said wipe them down good. Right. Then, then take another towel and go over, leave a fine coat on it for lubricant. Uh huh. So that that shouldn't be no problem with with wiping that down. It wouldn't. It's non water resistant. Yes. Sir. The kind of, uh, that I'm talking about. Yes. Sir. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll get that over there Monday, Tuesday, and we'll see what we can. Okay, man. Time to do with it. Sounds good. Y'all have a blessed weekend. Thanks, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. Just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always get your questions answered on our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that is Altazan's Garage Company for the acronym. That'll get you to our site. There's a search bar at the bottom. It's like a little red magnifying glass. And it's also in the menu on every single page. It says search. And I invite you to use that because if it's something that you're looking for, that is a big, big, big site. I think the last time I indexed it, about a week ago, it was over 290,000 words of text on that site. So that is a big, big big site to start looking around. Tons of information. You're probably not going to be able to flip through there and find what you want. But if you go to that search field and just type in what you want, 
And of course, like with any search field, the less you put in, the more you're going to get. Less right. is always more. But let's say you got a 1999 Chevy Suburban with a vibration. Instead of typing in 1999 Chevy Suburban Vibration, just type in Vibration. That's right. And it'll bring up all the characters according to Vibration. That's correct. Everything about can, a Vibration in there. Then you can cull it out from there. That's right. Fine-tune it down. Because I, I try to keep the information on that site as generic as possible. Just because there are so many thousands and thousands of different types of cars, I try to put generic information, not something peculiar to a specific car. So if you type in Ford F-150, you're probably not going to find what you're looking for, but if you type in broken spark plug, you will. Right. Because I'm trying to keep it as generic as possible simply because the Ford engine that breaks the spark plugs doesn't only go in an F-150. It goes in an F-250, F-350, it goes in a Mustang, it goes in a... Anything with the 543 valve. Anything with a 5.43 valve. So you just got to give it a tiny bit of thought whenever you do a search. If you don't find what you look for the first time, it comes back no results, then reword it and search again because it will find it. It's a pretty good search function that's on there. And that way you can find exactly what you're looking for. And that's going to search the vehicle questions. It's going to search the glossary. It's going to search the detailed topics. Now, detailed topics, of course, are the long stories about specific items. Right. With a lot, lot of information. One went on this morning on power windows. That's one of the things, for some reason, we get more calls and more questions more emails on is power windows they're great when they work they are i mean you push a button the window goes down that can't get any better than that well and you but know when they break then you got a big problem in the past years gone by it was almost always the motor that failed right power windows doesn't work put a new motor on it that was the thing but motor technology has changed they've got permanent magnet motors that are gear reduction and the motors hardly ever go out anymore However, they have cheapened up the regulators, regulators to the point that they are absolute trash and they fail constantly. That's right. So this tells you how to test the motor, how to check the regulator, how to check the clutch, how to check all the different components. It also shows you the difference in the old gear drive regulators we used to have and the new cable type regulators and why they break and some things you can do to prevent yours from breaking. There you go. So very good article. You might want to pop on there and, and read that. And, of course, there's an article on fuel injection cleaning that you might want to read. Well, that went on last week. Mm -hmm. That's been real popular. It's shot right up the top of the chart already. Yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of folks have trouble with that. Of course, if your Chevy 5.3 liter engine is losing coolant, you can't figure out where it's going. Yeah. They got a good one on there. There's Ford spark plugs that break off like we talked about earlier. Right. Just tons and tons of good information, whether you should use synthetic or regular oil, uh, what type of oil filter should you be using on your engine, and why. All those sorts of things are in the detailed topic. So pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll really, really like it. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll like it. Pop on there and see. We're going back to our phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 97 Ford F-150 truck, 4.6 liter engine. Mm -hmm. I had a light coming on, so I put one of them computer things on it, and it told me the number seven cylinder wasn't working right. Okay. So I changed the plug. I changed the wire. Uh-huh. Which the ones that were on it were brand new. They were like less than a year old. Yes, yeah, sir. Mm -hmm. And the light's still coming on and yes, off. Mm -hmm. Do I need to reset the computer? They said it should just go off. It will. And it's fixed. It will when go the off problem's when it's fixed. fixed. Yes, sir. That's, a, that's an active code, so as soon as you fix you haven't fixed the problem. Mike, just to give you a little advice for future reference instead of going and changing parts which is what most do-it-selfers want to do you end up spending money and you could even create another problem the reason being let's say you got a defective plug in there and you go to the parts store and you get another plug and it just happens to be a defective plug also 
Okay. Well, you put it in there, now it's still missing on the same cylinder. Well, then you go spend thousand dollars on stuff you don't need because you're confused, thinking, well, it can't be the plug because I changed it twice. Try this. Take the plug out of number seven cylinder and move it to number three and take the one out of number three and move it to number seven. Okay, okay. now if the misfire moves to number three, it's a bad plug. If it doesn't, then you know for sure it's okay. Same thing with the plug wire. Swap it from cylinder to cylinder. Same thing with the fuel injector. It's pretty easy to get out. Take number seven fuel injector and move it over to number three. Now, if you do that and it's still missing, or even before you do all that, you may want to go in and just check the compression on the engine. Make sure you've got equal compression in all the cylinders. When you got a single cylinder misfire, that's usually pretty easy to diagnose. It's not going to be anything like fuel filter or fuel pump or cam sensor or crank sensor or any of those things because that would affect all your cylinders equally. Mm -hmm. This is a problem with this one cylinder. So the very first thing I would do is probably take a compression gauge and do a compression check on the engine. Now, let's okay. say you got 180 pounds in all the cylinders and you got 60 pounds in that one. Well, you got an internal engine problem. Okay, so no use going on there until you... That's right. It's, it's time to stop and make a decision. Stop and make a decision. Do I want to spend a lot of money on this thing, or do I want to bail on it, or, or where I want to go? All right. That's, that one little simple test is going to tell you that without spending any money. Okay. If, if the compression is good in all the cylinders, well, then the next thing I would do is swap the spark plug with another cylinder. If the misfire does not move, then you know the spark plug's okay. Move the wire to another cylinder, or the call okay. to another cylinder, because they're all identical. If that doesn't do it, take the injector out, move it to another cylinder. Whenever the misfire moves, that's the part that's causing your problem. So that's a way you can do it that's not only a lot cheaper, but totally more cost-effective, and you're not going to create a second problem, because never assume a new part is a known good part. We okay. take, we've I, taken them right out the box. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it so many times. A guy will go, and he will fix the, or find the problem. He, let's say he, he finds that the, or he thinks the injector's bad. He swaps the injector. He gets another bad injector, which is brand new out of the box. Well, now he goes and he changes this, 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 this. Finally breaks to me, and I go back and say, hey, the injector's bad. No, I already changed that. Well, I'm sorry. It's bad. <laughs> you know? All right. Uh, because you don't have a way to verify the parts, and the parts nowadays are so absolutely deplorable. I mean, you got so many imported junk parts that don't even meet their specs coming right out of the box. So anyway, that's just an easy way for you to do it yourself, and at least you're following a logical path now that's going to bring you to the problem quicker than anything else. Okay. All righty. All right, I'll try that. Thank okay, you. Mike. Right. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, got to take one more quick little break. John and Drew, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally. All he could say was, All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go.
back and just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alexander, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we'll put you right up at the top of the list. And we've got Ray's been patiently holding. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Lewis. Yes, sir. I called you two weeks ago about my Chevrolet speedometer. I hadn't forgot it. Okay. It started working again, but it didn't work very long. So <laughs> yeah. I'll call Elaine Monday morning. Okay. Sounds great. Hey, my wife's got a 2002 Grand Cherokee uh-huh. Jeep. Yes, sir. About 63,000 miles on it. And occasionally, when you start it up and try to go with it, it'll sputter a little bit, run a little bit rough. It runs rough like when you're accelerating or just like yeah. an idle? Or? When you start to accelerate. One of the most common issues there, Ray, does it have an airflow meter on that engine, do you know? I don't Coming know. Coming out of the air filter, look between the air filter and the throttle body and see if it's like a little box sort of thing with some wires going to it. Okay. That would be an airflow meter. One of the most common causes of a stumble on acceleration is a dirty airflow meter. I got you. And those are obscenely expensive to replace, but we've had real good luck cleaning them. You yep. just got to be careful. If you go to a parts store, you can buy some airflow meter cleaner, a throttle body cleaner, something like that, which is a special cleaner for it. And if you go on the net, you're going to find a bunch of people telling you how to do it. But just basically very judiciously clean that thing and see if that doesn't clear it up. All right. Would you say it's time for some spark plugs with that kind of mileage? Probably. you got to watch. Chrysler uses a lot of copper spark plugs still that were uh, supposed to be changed at 30,000 miles. I got and you. I'm not sure on that particular model if they have it. But I know like the Hemis and all, every 30K they need plugs because it's got copper plugs. And the reason they did that was not neglect or trying to save money, but you got aluminum heads. They don't want those plugs to stay in there for 100,000 miles. They want it in and out so they don't freeze up. So, yeah, a lot. And you can be real surprised if you go to the Chrysler dealer to buy those spark plugs, they're real cheap. I mean, they're like $2, $3 a piece. And that's something. All right. Yeah, So, but the copper plugs, yeah, if that's what it is in there, you're way past due. You can look at your owner's manual. If it recommends around 30K, yeah, that's what you got. And that would be another thing. If that spark plug gap is real wide, it could cause a little bit of a stumble off acceleration. But All right. we found more times than not, it ends up being the airflow meter if it's not setting a code of any kind. All right. If it's not, if they weren't copper plugs, were they platinum? Yeah, it would be the platinum or iridium, and those uh, will yeah. generally last a little longer than that. But, again, I would pull a couple of them out and look at them and see. What we can also do, we've got a Chrysler Star Mobile, which is the, the Chrysler scan tool. Right. Sometimes in what they call mode six data, it'll record okay. a misfire and tell you which cylinder it is even before it'll set a check engine light. Wow, that's it perfect. has to get a pretty significant number of misfires before it'll set a check engine light. You know, it has All to right. have a certain number and they have to be at the same RPM range. You know, if it misses a different RPM range, it won't set a light. So right. just because it's not a light doesn't mean it's not some data. So try those things yourself and if that doesn't clear it up, bring it to me. I can scan it and see if there's anything in mode six. I'm gonna let you look at it. I, okay. I I'm too old for that now. <laughs> yeah, uh, one other question. Yes, uh, my son had a radio just like mine in the truck, and he, he never used it. He got him on them hopped-up radios. Okay. My radio went out. If I put his new radio in, it won't work. It has to be programmed or something. Can you uh-huh. do that, or is that just a dealer function? No, we can do that as long as it's a compatible radio. and It'll physically go into the truck, and it's designed to go in a truck and can be programmed. We can do it. I can do anything a dealer can do. Great, great, because you're going right. to have my dash apart anyways. I want you to put that radio in Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not a big deal. We'll, we'll check it and make sure. You know, there are some yep. radios that just aren't compatible. It's not possible to program them in. But right, I right. would think most of them are. If it can be done, we can do it. All right, sir. I'll All get right. later a call Monday. Thanks. Okay, Ray, thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We got John on the line. Good morning, John. Hey, Lewis. I've been listening to your show for years. And okay. Really, really enjoy it. Thanks. I've got an 01 Buick LeSabre. Yes, sir. 
never had a minute's trouble with it. Got 130,000 miles. I was going to trade it, but after listening to you, I think I'm going to hang on to it a couple more years. Well, I was going to say, yes, you want to sell it? <laughs> <laughs> but I've never, ever serviced the transmission. The oil is good. It's got good color. I've never had, had it to add any. Yes, sir. And it doesn't have any odor to it. Do you recommend servicing it or leaving I, it alone? I would definitely service it, John, and I would do a proper service. Obviously, you don't want to do a flush on it. That thing's going to have a certain amount of debris that's in the bottom of the pan. And when you go do a flush, what you do is you stir that up, and it sucks into the filter, restricts it, and you end up with a problem. What you want is to drop the pan on it, change the filter, change the fluid, retark the valve body bolts, all that sort of a thing. A proper service, and it's going to buy you some time. The reason being, any type of a fluid, whether it's transmission fluid, oil, or anything else, has additives in it that keep seals pliable, it's got detergents in it. It's got all those sorts of things. Those all go away in time. And so your seals start getting hard, and you end up with delayed engagement. You end up with all kinds of problems that the new fluid can help with. The second thing is that filter is going to have debris in it. Just because an automatic transmission is going to produce debris. You got a bunch of gears turning against each other. You got a bunch of bushings and bearings. They're going to grind up. They're going to make metal. They're going to make clutch material. It's just going to happen. And that's why you got a filter. But the filter will eventually become restricted. So you certainly, I mean, I would like to have seen you change it around 50,000 miles and then be changing it the second time by now. But since you didn't, that's kind of water under the bridge. I would definitely go and have a proper service done on it. You just don't want to flush on it. Now, uh, like Lewis was saying, a proper service means taking the pan down, taking the filter out. Now, at Agco, we will take and cut that filter open right. and look at the material in it. And a qualified, experienced tech can look at the material that's in that filter and let you know if you have a major problem or if that's just normal or, debris. Or no problem or at no all. no problem at all. One thing that, that can do, too, we've taken and dropped the filter, cut it open. There's a piece of snap ring inside that filter. Well, you know you've got a problem coming up. And if you head it off right now, number one, you can avoid a breakdown. And number two, you can lower the price of repair considerably. Because it, it's, it's a lot it's easier. It's going to break. If, it's if, a lot cheaper to yeah. fix it now because you're, you're changing less parts. That's right. So, right. you know, if you let it go till it fails yeah that then it's probably gonna tear the case up it's gonna you you're gonna end up into a probably a whole new unit right that's what you call run to fail and some people do that and hey some people get lucky most people don't but if you run it until there's a problem or until you have a symptom it's gonna be too late i got you do y'all do appointment only we can take you on a drop-in basis but we stay so busy if you just drop in they're gonna put you next in line but i mean it may be four or five days before i get to you may run two three hundred cars a week through there so right. if you set up an appointment, they're going to have somebody waiting when you get there. Now, if you want to drop it off, they can accommodate you pretty easily. If you want a waiting appointment, you need to call pretty well in advance, at least a week to 10 days in advance. And what they'll do is most of our waiting appointments are either at 7 o'clock in the morning or at noon. That way, when the guys get there in the morning, they start immediately on your car. Right. Or at noon, when they come back from lunch, they'll start immediately on your car. If you come in in the middle of the day at, say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, well, they've probably got 40 cars they're working on, and they can't stop in the middle and do it. So best to call ahead, talk to Elaine, let her set up, just tell her what you need to do. However you want, if you want to just bring in and drop it off, then it, it'd be a lot, you know, a lot quicker. Do you have an overnight drop where you can yes, drop sir. it after dark and drop the keys? Absolutely. Got a slot in the front door. Just drop the keys right. in through there, call them, give you your information on the phone, and we can even – a lot of folks will give us a credit card over the phone, and we can lock the keys in it that afternoon. You come get it after the traffic dies down. Do yourself a favor, too. Take an envelope, write your name and the, right. the make of the car, put the key in it, and then stick it through the door. Right. That way it would be a lot easier for Elaine to figure out what, 
what key goes with what car right. in the morning. Sometimes we get there in the morning okay. and there's, there's five, ten, ten keys there on the floor. Keys and, and they're all GM and there's yeah. 20 cars <laughs> in the parking lot. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, that sounds great. I appreciate the information. All right, John. Thank you, all man. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we got Drew online. Good morning, Drew. Hey, I got this Chevrolet Venture. I had to remanufacture the engine, put in it, and I want to ask you a question about the antifreeze. You know, I always ran the decks cool, the red yes. stuff, yes, and serviced it and everything. Uh-huh. But I had trouble with gaskets and uh, intake gaskets and head gaskets. Yeah. Constantly redoing them. So yeah. when I got the the motor back, the remanufactured mm-hmm. motor in it, mm-hmm. the guy tells me absolutely do not use the red antifreeze. He bull. said it eats up gaskets. That's bull. Use the that's green. Wrong. No, that's a lie. That's, that's, to- that's a total lie. The problem that General Motors had with gaskets is because the machine work is too rough on the engine. It has nothing to do with Dexcool. The Dexcool is an HOT-type coolant, which is not going to tear your water pump up. It doesn't have silicates and doesn't have phosphate in it. Absolutely does not have anything to do with those gaskets. I've seen a 1,000 people convert them over and still have the same exact problem with the gaskets. So if you go on my website, there is a... There's an article on that that shows you pictures and everything else. That is a General Motors problem, but that has to do with the roughness of the machine work that they're doing on those engines. That's why those gaskets keep failing. Nothing, okay, to, do so with, nothing to do with Dexcool at all, and Dexcool is the proper coolant to put in there. All right, so he put the green in there. He told, am I going to hurt it by keeping that in there? Or? You're probably going to start eating up water pumps on a fairly regular basis is the most common thing. I service thousands of vehicles we use a lot of dex cool we have never ever ever had a problem with any of them gm only has problems on certain models that they have that machine work problem on the other engines don't like for instance the 5.3 liter has dex cool in it they don't have any intake gasket problems so you just did a little better job on the machine work of it that's one of those things where a guy who doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't is not a real deep thinker he looks and he sees something different or something he doesn't understand. He's going to blame that on the problem. But he hadn't done any research. He hadn't looked into it. Dexcool has been tested and tested and tested. There's been several class action suits because of it. They have never one time prevailed. They've never proved that Dexcool has ever hurt anything at all. I've seen millions of cars with it in there with no problems at all. I've seen just as many cars with the green stuff with problems. So, no, that, that's a misnomer. I would never take any advice from anybody who ever told me that. But the right. problem so now, the problem now is getting all the green stuff yeah, out before you put the decks cool back right. in. You're going to need to drain the engine block and drain the radiator and all that, and you may have to do it more than once to get it all out of there. What I'm asking is, would you recommend doing that? I would, or, yes. Oh, yeah. I would definitely put the right coolant back in it. Okay. Well, he tells me it's going to void the warranty if I, if I do that. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. it, it may it, not it, have it, much warranty to begin with. Yeah. I mean, you got to do what he tells you then. I mean, just, just hope for the best. Okay, I appreciate it. All right, man. Bye-bye. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We'd love to have you. And we have got Paul online. Good morning, Paul. Hello, Lewis. Yes, sir. I've been listening to you for years. Thank you. And I feel that you seem to be the most honest person I've ever... Well, thank you. ...and knowledgeable. I appreciate it. I had a 1938 Ford 60. Uh Uh-huh. That was a running son of a gun. I bet. (laughs) And I I don't know how old you are, but... I had a shared tree mechanic take care of a big piccata on Rapid Street in okay. his backyard, you know? Uh-huh. And then I've had, after that, blah, 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 but I've had a Saturn in the last 14 years or so. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Good people. They were like family. I mean it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. I'm almost blind, and I haven't driven in three years, but I just want to give you the biggest bouquet I can. Well, I sure appreciate it. And 
You come over like it's like a real champ, knowledgeable too. <laughs> Most of the time, you can't. People can't do it. You ask them to do something, and they tell you why they can't do it. Well, that's they, right. And then they'll ask you, "Is there anything else I can do for you?" Yeah. You ain't done a thing yet. So you ain't done the first thing. Yeah, yet. That's right. Yeah. I'm done a thing. They tell you why they can't do it. You ask them what time it is. They can't tell you that. Okay. God bless you, Louis. Yes, sir. Thank you, Miss Paul. I really enjoy listening to you. Well, I appreciate you saying that. God bless you again. Thank you, sir. Bye bye. Oh, that was awful nice of him. I'm telling you. Tell you it's unexpected. And we got Mac online. Good morning, Mac. Hey, good morning, guys. How are y'all this Doing morning? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Got a question for you. Sure. I'm going online and I've located a 2008 Lexus up in New England. Uh-huh. Very good price on it and uh-huh. only 8,000 miles. Wow. The Carfax, though, says that there seemed to have been a problem or a malfunction with, with the odometer, and it's not saying that they've turned it back or whatever, but they did say that it would be good to have either the dealer, who may lie, yeah. <laughs> or qualified mechanic, which obviously you are, uh-huh. uh, look at it, but unfortunately that car is 1,800 or 2,000 miles away from Mac, you. Mac, i tell you what you do. If you want to verify the odometer, it's right to the state that it's in, mm-hmm. and ask you know, the, the folks in the, uh, or, you may, or maybe be able to handle a phone call, but the folks that handle the vehicle inspections, right. because mileage is recorded each time you have a vehicle inspection. Right. So if you can get that information, and let's say the last time, or the first time they got a vehicle inspection, it had 15,000 miles on it, and the second time it had 8,000 miles on it, well, and obviously there's a problem there. Exactly. But that data is recorded by the state. You just got to find the right division. Of course, that's not going to be an easy task if you ever have to deal with any state, much less an out-of-state state. But if you call the motor vehicle division in the state where the car is registered, they should be able to verify that information for you. Is that something easy to be done as far as rolling back the uh, I mean, odometer on, on a Lexus or on a It's not I guess. easy, but if they replace the dash, the instrument panel cluster, that information is recorded on a chip in the instrument panel cluster. Right. If you take the instrument cluster out and replace it with another cluster, yeah, it's gone. By law, you're supposed to have a statement. You're supposed to inform people and all that kind of stuff. But I would be a little apprehensive of a car that age with that low of miles on it anyway. Right. Because a number of things could account for that. Number one is the car could have been sitting up for a long period of time for some reason, which is very, very bad. It could have been seriously wrecked, and it was off the road for a period of time, which is very, very bad. Mm-hmm. I would prefer to see a car with a lot more miles, which means it's been driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would prefer to see a 2008 with uh, 80,000 miles on it. I right. would buy that before I would buy that car. Really? Yes, sir, absolutely, because the years are what kills a car. The miles don't really hurt them at all. Mm-hmm. And being an 08, I mean, if it's pretty new anyway, you know, two right. years old. It's not a whole lot going to be wrong with it, particularly a Lexus. I would prefer to see a car with higher mileage because right. you know it's been driven. Let's just say a little old lady had it, she just never drove it. Again, that's, that is the worst possible operating conditions. Really? Oil tends to, to clog up. I mean, Shocks sit in one position and the pit, you know, the rings eat into the cylinder bores. I mean, it's just really a horrible, horrible way to do a car. You're way better off with a higher mileage car. Find a salesman. He's got what, two, an 08 with 100,000 miles. Car's like brand new. Hmm. So you, you, that's a misnomer about the low mileage stuff. The miles don't hurt the car. The years hurt the car. Right. Hey, thanks for the great tip. Okay, man. Appreciate you. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. All right, we got to take one more quick little break. John and Ted, hang on. You guys will be straight up after the break.
Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there, judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my co-pilot, Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech from Agco. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you have. Go ahead and give us a call. We'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got John's been patiently holding. Good morning, John. Hi, good morning. Good yes, morning. Sir. Got a problem. My brother-in-law's got a 99 Chevy 1500 with yes, V6 uh-huh. and automatic transmission. Yes, sir. The truck... It's got about 130,000 miles on it. When he's driving it on the interstate, he's got the cruise control set anywhere from like 50 up to 70. Mm-hmm. It's like it keeps the time, and, or not the time, but the RPMs just keep jumping back and forth. Okay, but, and, it, and it does not do it if he holds his foot steady on the accelerator? He said it does it any time uh, between 50 and 70. Once he hits 70, it doesn't do it at all. Yeah, what you need to find out is if, it, if it's a cruise control type issue, because if so, it would probably be the servo on the cruise is not holding speed, or if it does it when he's got his foot on the gas, if it's doing it, then it's going to be an engine running type problem. Okay. So, so that's kind of sort of what you'd need to know. Just ask him, if it, if it does it only with cruise set, then I would suspect the cruise control servo, which is the part under the dash that opens the throttle body back and forth, when that part goes bad, it'll malfunction, it'll start hunting speeds, and, and it'll go up and down, up and down, up and down. Now... If it does it even when you got your foot on the accelerator pedal at a steady speed, then I would think it's probably some type of an engine running problem, maybe like a misfire or something like that. Some of those are kind of difficult to feel as a, as a misfire. They just feel like something different. So yeah, find, he, find well, that out said, from him and see. Well, he said that it's not uh, the vehicle's not changing speed. It's like the engine. He's watching the RPM gauge, and it's jumping a couple of hundred RPM. Now, a couple of hundred RPM, yeah, that could be, and again, same exact deal. If it's only doing it in cruise, it's one thing. If it's doing it out of cruise, it may be going in and out of lockup. What happens on a transmission, you've got the four gears, you know, first, second, third, and fourth. Once all of those had shifted, then it's got what they call a lockup on the torque converter. What that is, a torque converter is sort of like a clutch. It allows you to come to a stop with the engine running by allowing it to slip. The engine can still turn, but the vehicle doesn't move. But when you get to a certain speed, it locks up. There's a clutch in there that engages, that locks it one-to-one to give you better gas mileage. Now, if it's going in and out of lockup, your RPM is going to jump about 200 RPM one way or the other because when it's in lockup, your RPM is going to come down. When it goes out of lockup, it's going to come back up. Tell him what, what he can do to tell is next time it's doing it, just lightly touch the brake pedal, and if it quits doing it, then it's some kind of a lockup problem. 
And there's a solenoid and transmission that controls that, and there's some other wiring and stuff that controls it. We just have to find out what's causing it to go in and out of lockup. Okay, would that set off any kind of engine codes or anything like that? No, sir. No. It might set yeah. a code in the transmission computer, right. but probably not. It's probably the car sees it as normal, even though it's abnormal. Now, it doesn't mean it's a transmission problem. See, it could be something like a glitch in the throttle position sensor that keeps sending a false signal to the computer that you're accelerating when you're not, which we could drop it in and out. Or it could be a loose wire on the brake light switch. And it thinks you're applying the brakes. There's lots of things that can cause it. You're just going to have to catch it doing it and be with some equipment. Somebody knows what to do and let them track it down for you. But okay. I would not let it go on because it could end up damaging the – it could damage the transmission eventually if you let's keep going on. Okay. All, All right. right. Well, I appreciate it. Okay, man. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Ted on line. Good morning, Ted. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. morning. I have a 2008 Corvette convertible. Yes, sir. And it's been, I've got 9,000 miles and 3,500 miles of brakes started squeaking. Uh huh. So I took it into the dealership and they said it's a symptom of that car. Okay. And I said, well, I traded in a 2004 that didn't do this. <laughs> and they, they said, try aggressive braking. So I've tried that about 35 times. Should I just go ahead and buy some more expensive pads? Well, more expensive may or may not fix the problem because the ones you got on there are pretty expensive if you ever check at the dealership. I would probably suspect if it were a characteristic of the car, there'd be a technical bulletin on it. So we could run the bulletins and see if there's no bulletins on it. Most likely the pads are not properly lubricated. There's a high temperature grease that goes on the backside of that pad because what noise is, is a vibration. Right. When your pad hits the rotor, there is going to be a vibration. You cannot stop that. That's inherent in every car. And I did ask them about that. I asked them, you know, would it do any good to to put more grease on the back? Right. They said probably not because it's a symptom of this car, you know. Yeah, and I just don't know. But if it is symptomatic of the car, then there should be a technical service bulletin out stating that. Right. If so, then you've got the choice to either just put up with the noise or you could try a different type of pad. It could be that they've used a ceramic pad of some sort that's very, very hard, and it may be that it's going to be noisy. Americans tend to be real, real sensitive to brake noise. Europeans don't pay any right. attention to it at all. A European well, you, With the top down, you really hear it too, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It's aggravating. I don't like yeah, it either. Very but aggravating. Some designs are noisier than others. So what I would do, first off, is go to them and say, hey, look, you show me a TSB saying this is normal. If it's not, I want it fixed. And if there's right. not a statement from GM saying, hey, this is normal noise, it's not going to hurt anything, da-da-da-da, then I would want it fixed. And they can't fix it. I just tell them, hey, look, guys, I paid X dollars for this car. My brakes oh, squeal. Yeah. It sounds like a banshee every time I stop. If I have to go somewhere else and get it fixed, I'm going to bring you the bill. Yeah, that's virtually a, you know, because when they gave me the report back, it was all typed out from Chevrolet saying that it was a symptom of the Corvette, this year model and everything. I said, yeah. well, you know. When you pay a lot of money for a car like this, <laughs> you don't expect the brake to be squealing. That's right. That's right. And some cars do have built-in inherent problems like that. I remember yeah. when the Chevy pickup trucks first came out with the 5.3, they had a knocking noise in the engine, and they said that was normal. And as it worked out, it was. I've seen those engines now with 200,000 miles. They're still knocking, and it's not hurting anything. But yeah. it's just aggravating. You know, you pay that kind of cheese right. for a car, and every time you stop, everybody's looking at you. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly so, right. But, I mean, okay. at, at very least, what I would try – is to lubricate with high-temperature grease the backsides of the pads. You can try beveling the edges of the pads. These are things that a lot of times can quiet down a noise like that. Okay. All righty. Thanks, sir. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Remember, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you.
And we're going live with Fred. Good morning, Fred. Hey, buddy. I've yes, got a 93 Ford F-150. I need to pull the steering wheel off. Do I need a puller of some sort? Yes, sir. There is a puller made for that, ironically called a steering wheel puller. It's just a little round plate with a couple of holes or three holes, depending on how that was designed, and a bolt in the center you tighten down against the shaft, and it just pops it right off. If you don't have that, I have been able to get them off by just grabbing it at, say, 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock and rocking it back and forth until it comes off. But that's kind of difficult. The pullers are real cheap. Yeah, you can go to the parts house and rent one pretty cheap. Yeah, you can rent one at a parts like store. That. Yeah, just Where something like that, store. any parts store. Hey, I'm sorry, we're totally out of time. we got to get on out of here. I'd like to thank all our listeners this morning and every morning listening to the Automotive Show, especially the ones listening via podcast. That's it. Tell them a big old thank you to you. And preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.